This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by Spampus. Un gata por espanol? Spampus. Go to www.spampusmcmanus.ca today to get 2% off your spam- Spampus subscription. Spampus. It's just Spampus. It's too late. No. Here we are. We can't. We have to have it. Well, we can get it. Okay. Jeez, holy Moses. Welcome to the Good Ship Brothership, everybody. Hey. Did you get up the document? Oh, no. I guess I should get that up. I was hoping that some sort of, like, natural banter would kick in, but it was well, just... Well, I was reading something, <laughs> and then you're just, just like, well, we're starting. <laughs> and it's just dead space. Uh, okay, I we're, to... we're still new uh, at this. Yeah. yeah, we're not doing so hot today, hmm. thus far. Okay. Okay, my... The margins in all my documents have gone all squirrely on me. Like, look at that. There we go. Mm, nice. See what I'm saying? Wrong one. Wrong one. I know. I'm going to close these because I don't want to crash. Whoa. Yeah, I'd like to save those changes. Da-da. Should we just go straight into it? It feels like we have nothing to say. Well, we can banter. Like, I yeah, mean, we, we can we, talk there's about There's no well, banter. Well, I'm only going through the motions with you at this point. Okay. Goodbye. He's actually just walking to the closet to get... Uh, he has to go get the theme music. Yeah. Okay, he has it now. Um, so, actually, this evening, um, Grant said it's really sad that we don't have chocolate cake, which is true. And so now we're recording later than we had planned. Stop making noise. Sorry. Um, just because I went out of my way to bake chocolate <laughs> peanut butter pecan topped brownies. It was not really out of and my way. Dec- well, yes, it was, because I wasn't planning on making it. It was in the house. Yeah, but it's not it, like you, you, you're like, I drove all the way down to... But it was like 45 yeah. minutes of my time. Oh, wow. So, maybe you could show a little gratitude? Why did you just drive somewhere and get them then? Because it's 8.30 on a Sunday. Oh, you absolute lizard. <laughs> and we're also having <laughs> coffee instead of tea. That was a good reaction. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably ready, by the way. Let's pour this crud. Pour that mm. hack, man. Trophy. I'm very, I'm super high energy just because I really, I'm really excited to record yeah. today. The, I don't think it was the last time. Maybe it was the time before that when I was like not really feeling it when we started out, and then obviously, uh, my energy picked up. There's your coffee. Thank Here's you. my coffee in a man's chalice. Um, but today I'm just I'm super high energy and I'm really ready to present my best face forward we're gonna cut the brownies and that's not a euphemism yep. are we ready for the ceremonial cutting of the brownie music yep begin these are so perfect like they're nice and dense ready? they didn't crack too much actually i do have a note to make i absolutely love this song so i watched this uh tech podcast called The Wan Show. Man, is it ever loud, though. Shout out to The Wan Show. I'm putting this down here. That uh, Linus Tech Tips does. But they play their theme music and they talk over it just like we do. Well, clearly they've been listening to And I've show. never... But it, it was, like, from before. 
No, I don't. Yeah. I doubt that. And it kind of bothered me, because I was like, wow, I've never heard anywhere where they do this. But yeah, they play their theme music, and they talk over it just like this. Except they have like a highly edited theme, because they're really famous. And... Now, the... our theme is pretty f- f- fancy. <laughs> You're aboard the Good Ship Brothership. The only arts podcast that covers film, music, gaming, literature, and it's chest food. tattoos. I'm big Jason, chest tattoos, and this is my brother. Chest tattoo. What are we talking about today? Tattoo. The plane. The plane. We are talking about the plane. One day we should plane. review Fantasy Island. Oh no. Uh, today we'll be talking about the video game Hotline Miami One, or just Hotline Miami. And uh, Drive by Nicholas Winding Refn, starring Ryan Gosling, the incandescent Carrie Mulligan. She alright. And Oscar Isaac as well a little bit. It's not really starring him. And a little bit of Bryan Cranston and a little bit of the guy who played Hellboy whose name I can't remember right now. What's his name? Um, I remember his name sounds like what his face looks like. Ron Perlman. Yeah, Ron Perlman. Mm. Sounds like kind of a... This these brownies are almighty. Like, try it, please. Ron Perlman's name could be Brutus, though. <laughs> try it. Yeah. Hellboy. Mm, first was a good movie. I don't think I'd ever review it, but well, it's a super fun. I guess blockbuster movie. Hellboy two is okay. Made with made with like some character for once. Or did they make a Hellboy three? What was the second one? Is that Golden Army? Yeah, I think so. Are you Let's looking see. this up? Yeah. Um, why don't you get the puppet? Golden Army was the last one. I remember that. February 21st, 2017, via Polygon. 2017? Hellboy, Hellboy 3 is officially dead. Oh. Hellboy 3, the follow-up to Guillermo del Toro's 2008 Hellboy 2, the Golden Army, is officially so off loud? the docket. The director confirmed today. Well, it's not... I know Ron Roman didn't want to get bulked up and do another Hellboy movie in all that makeup. Which I can't Didn't believe. Do you have like 20 pounds of makeup or something preposterous? Yeah, it was ridiculous. And you can see in the first movie, he's like shredded. And then the second movie, he's... He's still big, but he's not like... He's much more live. He yeah. looks like he just didn't care as much. No, it wouldn't be easy. None. Non. Non. <laughs> non. I keep saying non, but there I want to say no. And then I want to say non. Uh, we do have a Spanish sponsorship today. Yes. <laughs> Spleepus or whatever it was. <laughs> Grant could barely hold it together for that. He was like, I don't know if I can do this. What was it? I can't even I don't remember. remember. Wow. Well, that was to, so we'll listen to it. That later. was so pure <laughs> in the moment. Um okay, so Hotline Miami and Drive. And one of the reasons why we decided to review this pairing is because Hotline Miami is directly influenced by by Drive, stylistically speaking. Among other and and yeah, and of course other things. Miami um, Vice or whatever. No, Cocaine Cowboys. It was a documentary. Um, that being said, we're going to try and avoid spoilers for both. I know that... I think um, we're going to do a full discussion of Hotline Miami. A full discussion of Hotline Miami, yeah. S- spoiler city, man. Spoiler... Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. We're going to try our be- level best to avoid spoilers for Drive. So maybe we should do Drive first. Hold on. Hold on. But um, that being said... If if what we describe early on in the uh, discussion interview, review, 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 mm-hmm. if what we 
describe early on interests you, I would recommend pausing it, going watching it. It is on Netflix, Canadian Netflix at least, and it and it is uh, recommendable. It's a movie that I think we both agree that anybody who likes this show should probably go watch. Yeah, yeah. So do you think we should just uh, not even flip the puppet or flip it as a formality, but then be like, oh, look. That's exactly what I was going to okay, say. Okay, cool. So we're going to so, flip the puppet, but regardless yeah. of the outcome, we're yeah. gonna dri- so Drive's going to be puppet up, okay? Yeah. The puppet has landed. Whoa, it actually did land we're up, doing, but you'll never know. So We're doing Drive. Okay. So brought to you <sighs> by en.wikipedia.org. Oh, man, you got that up. Uh-huh. I've, got, I've got the other one. Drive is a 2011 American neo-noir crime film. Mm, kind of disagree. You don't have to speak this loud. <sighs> I like to project when I, I talk. You, it's not projecting. It's just loud. <laughs> okay. Directed by Nicholas Winding Refn and written by Hussein Amini, based on the 2005 novel by James Salas. The film is about an unnamed Hollywood stunt driver who moonlights as a getaway driver. Um, he becomes attracted to a female neighbor whose husband owes money to local gangsters. We'll probably stop there so that we don't spoil it. Basically, yeah. The Oh. David Bowie. This is such a good cover. Um, his I, but his eyes are two different colors there, but they weren't in real life. Well, I don't know. I think One that, of his pupils was just dilated. One, I think right? one of them's a little darker than the other. Hmm, but it that de- looks too it, much. Those are definitely two that different colors. Fake. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't buy it. You completely digressed just by me clicking through the open tabs trying to get to David Bowie is very distracting mm-hmm. okay I can close that one okay please continue so what did you think of Drive I'm you're, kicking it over you're to you you're asking yeah what so am I doing my review now yeah cause I can do that yeah okay um <sighs> do a quick review of my brownies first uh the the brownies are let me just flake it into the mic Uh, okay, I'm getting a mouthful here. Now, due to the high volume of peanut butter, only a little dry. Only a little dry. There's not much peanut butter in there. Um, good peanut butter taste, good nut to brownie ratio, uh, would be unmatched with, uh, vanilla ice cream. Yes. 10 out of 10 with, IGN. With the coffee, also excellent. Yeah. Of course, hot brownie, hot coffee. It makes you thirsty. It's probably going to make me projectile poo onto this chair <laughs> halfway through the episode. <laughs> no warning whatsoever. It's going to be like soft serve coming out of a cannon. <laughs> Do we need to pull up the Bristol Steel Attorney? No. Yes. No. 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 <clears throat> okay. So Drive is um, a highly stylish... But beautifully underplayed, and we 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 seem to be uh, gravitating a lot toward underplayed movies like Locke, which mm-hmm. is which is set completely in a car with one live actor who you see. But Drive is not on that level. It's not quite no. that. Um, it's low a bit key, subdued though, but it's definitely subdued. It doesn't go in for massive action set pieces or really massive set pieces of any sort. And it's just occurred to me. And this is the last non sequitur I'm going to do before I finish my review of Promise. That I don't know where my ring is. And uh, I took it off before we went on the walk and I've completely <sighs> forgot where it is. So anyway, that's going to bother me. Uh, I'm going to write it on my hand. Let's stay. 
Not that we have to stay on track too much. Well, but let's kind of try and stay within I'm, the realm. Of I'm trying, but I'm trying. I'm trying. But it just occurred to me, and I don't want to forget okay. because I like that ring a lot. Um, okay. So, oh jeez. So drive. Uh, very stylish. Um, I would definitely categorize it as a neo noir style thriller. Um, there is a kind of fatal, fatalist uh, slant to everything. Uh, very interesting fact that the protagonist is never named. And yes. s- speaking of the protagonist, I think this is kind of like the dream role for Ryan Gosling in like a serious setting. Because generally I find, and now in case any of you are about to shoot flaming arrows at me i have not you yet so seen i've not yet seen la la land so you're completely redacted he might be great in la la land can we not make Lizard. jokes on the show ever sorry um should we we should also redact yeah let's redact it we'll write down the time code then while you keep talking um you write it down so i know i gen i generally do consider ryan reynolds to be one of those uh actors who does get cast because he gets a lot of female audience members into the cinema. He's the Angelina um, Jolie, but for men. Well, he's one of them. I mean, there are a lot of True. attractive dudes in, in movies now. But, <laughs> but he is he is very well suited to this extremely understated role, and I was very impressed by the amount of um, nuance. nuance and subtlety that he brought to it, and it was almost uh, like I... I say a lot, Tom Hardy is the best physical actor in Hollywood today for telling a story with his with his face, with his eyes, with his hands, with his the way he walks or carries himself. What, what is it? I do think it's really interesting. I just wanted to throw this out mm-hmm. to add to the conversation. What it reminded me a lot of is so often in games, we have silent protagonists for us to project onto um, and to be sort of a blank slate and like a conduit through which the narrative is viewed. Obviously, he's not a silent protagonist. He does talk. He does have his own character. But I thought it was an interesting film equivalent to that. And I think at times you can kind of project yourself onto him. Yeah, I do think... I think that the his character is... It's it's decently well-established in, in the little things he does, though. That's what tells the story of him. And that's how we know who he is, is by the small things. The toothpick... Mm-hmm. That he always has in his mouth, um, and just the small little movements and motions, and that's why I say physical Tom Hardy esque performance. And Tom Hardy is my man. Um, the uh, the cinematography, as I think a lot of people who are f- even vaguely familiar with Nicholas Winding Refn, and this is definitely his biggest movie, um, would expect his movies to look gorgeous and captivating and striking and this definitely 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 does i do feel like in some uh in some cases at some moments in this movie i did find myself more interested in like the framing the coloration and the cinematography than i did in the characters Mm -hmm. but i think that's just because the cinematography is so um, rich uh-huh. that it can... I did find myself going, wow, doesn't that look great? When 
if you're watching a movie that you're fully absorbed into, I feel like you don't notice how good the cinematography is until, you know, you go back and you mm-hmm. watch it for the cinematography. So so that would be, uh, now that I think about it, maybe one small criticism that I'd level at it, uh, perhaps. Uh, I One, one uh, major props to give it, though, is the um, central relationship between... Um, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Carrie Mulligan's characters. I think that the it's not even close to a spoiler to say that it's a romance. I think the yeah. romance is believable, not obnoxious, and uh, it it's not overplayed and it doesn't feel melodramatic uh, in in any way. That's fair. I I, I I I'm I was very struck by that. Returning to this, I watched this movie uh, maybe two years ago for the first time, and. And uh, jumping off on that, the fact that I saw it like two years ago, I was amazed by how how vividly a lot of parts of this movie had stuck with me. Particularly, particularly the uh, scene. The, I think there's one or two scenes of Ryan Gosling sitting inside his apartment, which is this empty, like borderline abandoned-looking uh, room. Like it's a one room. That's all you ever see. And I think that the reason why that stuck with me so much is that it's just such a good mirroring of his his character. Just the essentials. Mysterious, weird, stripped down, um, yet charming uh, individual who's kind of... Um, it, it almost feels as though the other characters are intruding into his life. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the tale that we're seeing. Yeah, sure. um, Oscar Isaac... In his, you know, somewhat limited role, and I don't mean limited in terms of like what he gets I to do, but in his infinite glory and talent. But in his in his smaller, slightly more side role is like as good as as pathetically good, as insultingly good as you'd expect Oscar Isaac to be. He makes you uh, feel threatened, reassured, scared, angry. He's a, like the all... deepest character, I would say, yeah, in for the movie. sure. And and the best portrayed, um, and I should say, dear listeners, or should I say, listener? <laughs> hey, Ben. Um, <laughs> I bet Emerson's out there. Yeah, well, there are a couple people. I mean, Tom York, Johnny Greenwood. Thank you. Hello again, the King of Kuwait. Um, <laughs> was it Kuwait? Yeah, I don't think that it was. Qatar. No, Kuwait. It was Kuwait. So, I'm sorry, Your Majesty. <laughs> yeah, uh, we really For- like those new Lamborghinis. Forgive us. <laughs> um, I think Oscar Isaac is my favorite actor in Hollywood. I don't know that he's necessarily the best, but I think he's just consistently fantastic. He really is. He, he's like, chosen his roles really well, and I feel like Mark Kermode, film critic uh, with the BBC and other publications, ha- likened uh, Viggo Mortensen to... Um, who, who is the guy in Taxi Driver? Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. He likened Viggo Mortensen to Robert De Niro, but I would say... Oscar Isaac's more of an analog to De Niro. Let's in, hope his career doesn't burn out as much. Yeah. Anyway, um, the uh, there is a uh, there is a slow build to uh, kind of like a different layer. <laughs> how, how far can I go without going to sp- also first, that first I'll, third that undershirt's inside out. Um, there, there is Holy at one point Christ. kind of a pivot in the story that I think is kind of genius in how how, how the movie it it's full of intensity and brooding, not threat, but 
It's tense. Yeah. The movie's tense, but still the release of that tension is not something, even on the second watch, that I that I saw coming. And it completely took me by surprise and shocked me. And then from there on, the movie becomes much more unpredictable and continues uh, to be very noir-like. Yeah. Especially in a scene on a moonlit beach uh, after a, a, a short car chase. Reminds me so much of a lot of great... Uh, noir, noir uh, film. Um, I'm just skimming over my my notes here. Oh, another important one uh, is thank God for movies that aren't overly long. Mm. Oh, this one's like an hour minutes. and a half. Yeah. Oh my word! Why can't more movies be that? It's it's like with books or albums or anything. I feel like once you get into making them, you feel like in the page count or the track list or the hours that have to be invested, you will craft this great epic where people who really know what they're doing know that if you strip it down to just what you need, like what I've got this uh, this paper hanging on the inside of my closet door that just says sub... sub, sub <laughs> what does it say? It says, sub, sub, sub. it says subtractive sculpture and that's... Uh, a uh, sculpture term uh, referring to taking away everything that doesn't belong in the sculpture and that's what this movie feels like it feels like a raw stripped down emotionally um, emotionally variable and or yeah variable and uh, and quite rich uh, film that that does tell an interesting and a and a fascinating story and it is a neo-noir classic i would say in every sense of the word there's really not a whole lot that i can that i can say and i'll just leave my review with saying that the final scene or one of the final scenes is one of the greatest final scenes i've ever seen in a movie where a game that ryan gosling has been playing with carrie mulligan's son for the entire movie is thrown back on you the viewer and you unwittingly participate in this little game with Ryan Gosling's character and it is genius and uh, an emotional move I think that really plays off is that it yep buckle up I think my impressions are quite different than you think they'll be um so I think this is a really interesting movie and I think that alone makes it worth viewing because I think there are very few like truly interesting movies that you shouldn't watch for one reason or another because I think they're quite rare. Um, the cinematography is beautiful. The depth of field is like shallow and crisp mm-hmm. um, and really draws your attention to the focus of each shot. I like, um, I'm going to go slightly technical, not too technical. Go for it. But I really like... Um, how consistent the color palette is it's desaturated a little bit from you know realism Mm -hmm. and yet it's warmer i would say you measure it in degrees kelvin and i would say it's six thousand degrees kelvin which is around the difference between a sunny day and a cloudy day like a very heavily overcast day um and so it's it's like warm and yellowy but desaturated and it works for this noir it's almost comparable to black and white just because i feel like there was less variation in the color scheme than there often is in a movie. 
Yeah. And so I think that made it not that it was like black and white, but it had more of that sort of feel. Yeah. Are there are there any scenes that particularly stood out to you and made you think like, wow, the cinematography is really cool? I mean, you can tell like just in particular because I've got one that the one we talked about with the what was it called? I've actually never heard it before. The the rule of fourths or something. The quad something. All we should we should say before uh, we jump into this. There is a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting. So good, and it's great. It's like three, four, five minute uh, dissections of yeah. the visual styles of different films and directors. And uh, they did one. He did one on Drive that we're going to talk about a little bit now, and it really made me appreciate. And I think you yeah. as well. Oh yeah. The uh, the artistic integrity behind the composition of the shots of drive. Yeah. Basically, um, what happens is imagine a crosshair, if you will, over a screen. So one vertical, one horizontal in the middle. The idea is to have two or four stories being told. So for instance, in certain shots, if you blocked off the top half of your screen and looked only at the bottom half, there's a narrative being played out. So say someone crouching, talking to a kid. And then if you were to look at only the top half without the bottom half, it could be some adults who are concerned or something like that. Um, and basically what it does is it gives you two different points of intrigue or even four points of intrigue. When that they use that all sometimes con- conflict and contrast mm-hmm. or work with each other. And subtly uh, draw your eyes around and uh, it's just, it's really gorgeous and really genius and shows a sort of passion and intentional creation of art, um, which I think is very important. And I think that's one of the things that makes this movie so special, but it's so difficult to describe, you know? Um, I think oftentimes there are elements like that that go beyond what we notice, and you're like, this movie's great, but I just can't think of why. And I think it's things like this that make it uh, really memorable. I uh, I definitely don't say this about many movies. I know a lot of uh, people say this about their favorite movies and whatnot, and I wouldn't even say this about... About a lot of movies that I really like, but it's it is a movie that almost demands to be watched twice. Hmm. And I think in order I will watch to it again in soon. order to like fully appreciate everything that's happening. Yeah. Um, and I don't even I don't think that that's a hallmark even of a great film, but it is. It's something about this one. Yeah. That. It, it's almost less distracting the second time around. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I think the plot is very well done. It avoids being, you know, high-minded or really complicated, but it's full of twists and tensions. There are answers and questions being given to you at just the right speed to keep you intrigued without um, bogging you down. I didn't actually love the ending. I'm not going to get spoilery. There was the cool callback that you talked about. What did um, you think of that, though? That oh, specific that was, thing. It was very interesting. I don't think I ascribed quite the importance to it that you did. It, it um, almost makes me cry. But at the same time, I think it was a very interesting visual play. And uh, yeah, it was it was very well done. Because it's, it's one of those... That scene in the car with the game with the kid, it treats the... I think the, one of the reasons I love it so much is it treats the viewer with such intelligence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even hint at what what happens or what will what what it doesn't even begin to tell you what to do yeah that's but it's so intelligent that it lures you in it pulls you in it draws you in 
and it makes you so connected, so invested uh, in that moment. For sure. And But it treats you with such intelligence and such grace. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, we're you just know. going long again. That's okay. Um, <laughs> it's the perfect length, Jason. I thought... Okay, whatever. Um, also, if I may add, this is a bit on my note that I skipped over um, during my review. And it does tie in with what you were just saying. This film is subdued and underplayed. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake about it. However, it does the subdued, underplayed thing properly. So many uh, quote-unquote underplayed movies that are coming out now, uh, they seem they seem Detached. to try and underplay, uh, make the movie underplayed by leeching all of the all of the character from yeah, the characters life, color, from the roles, yeah. the films, and and just trying to remove. Uh, detail uh, yeah. being underplayed is not a removal of detail it's the adding of small details but the detachment not of forcing them on of, you yeah exactly of shoving these details in your face saying hey look at this this is what this means it's really cool you know yeah so it ju- I think it, uh, it just treats the, the viewer mm. with intelligence something else that Hotline Miami does as well yeah very much so the soundtrack, and I think it's interesting, by the way, how we notice very different things. Um, oh, oftentimes I was going to mention the soundtrack. The soundtrack is very interesting. I've never heard yeah. anything quite like it for the movie because at the beginning of the movie, dialogue is very sparse, and the soundtrack is very thick, fills a lot of the sound, um, very noticeable. Uh, interesting, too. And then as the dialogue takes over progressively throughout the movie, it gets kind of more and more dialogue-heavy. The soundtrack recedes into the background to the point where it's still there, but it no longer holds your attention. And I think it's a really good way to keep you engaged um, visually and orally, like not orally, orally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was well done. I don't think it was like this stunning, perfect score. Also, but... one of the few uses of a song that actually has singing and lyrics in it in a movie that like I love. Yeah. And... The song right now is running through my head. I don't know about you, but it's such a great um, companion to the film itself. Um, it, but juxtaposes it too in its style, and I love that. Now we get onto something interesting. Um, the movie has one massive flaw, which I think takes it down hugely for me, from being like incredible to still very good, but like. Every time I think about the movie, there's something where I'm like, so I think the casting is excellently done. Um, I have no complaints really for that. I think Brian Cranston was awesome as like the garage owner, sort of the mentor, like friend. Uh-huh. Um, Oscar Isaacs was great. Carrie Mulligan's, she could just do nothing. She was, okay, anyways. I could, I could watch um, her watch paint dry. And I'd just be like, my queen. I love you. You're still better than me. <laughs> um, I think, let me just take a, let me hazard a guess at where you're going with this. You don't like Ron Perlman in this movie. No, I think he's fine. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, I liked Gosling's silent protagonist thing in theory, but really I think it's kind of tough to implement in the movie, and I think it faltered fairly often. He has a couple in-depth conversations, which I just didn't really think seemed like him, despite the fact that I think he grows and develops really interestingly over the movie. Which is something else I like. I feel like the character development is good, and characters are more than just, like, uh, one-trick ponies. You know, like, Oscar Isaac's not just this, like, abusive criminal. Like, he's 
he's a very complex character. Um, and we'll leave it at that for him. But the writing, again and again, as the movie went on, I was struck by how super unrealistic the conversation seemed. Like, I mean, TVs and movies are always a little bit like that. Yeah. But, like, the conversation he has in the apartment towards the beginning with Carrie Mulligan, I was just like, nobody talks like this. This is, like... Do you have any examples? Um, I don't have any quoted lines. I'm trying to find my, my notes here because I got a little carried away. Because now you've got me curious because I really... I totally didn't... Um, that never crossed my mind. And normally, being a lover of the written word, that sort of thing would... Yeah, leap out at me. I thought they seemed really awkward, and yet, like... Well, he is awkward. Yet, like, cliched, um, okay. and sometimes weirdly emotionless, mm-hmm. like like they didn't have their lines well rehearsed or something, and were focusing on what they were saying. That said, I think the acting was really good in terms of physical acting, and I think the, the direction was good. It is one of but... the movies in which the camera does a lot of acting as well. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing. <laughs> Jeez. But there are about uh, three scenes, and I can't name all of them for spoilers, but we'll have to talk later, where I was just like, wow, like it really pulled me out of the experience, and I felt like the writing was like bad. Yeah. Um, I, I think my one knock against it, because when you started talking negatively, I started going, oh, what could he be thinking about? And now, and I'm sorry because this is a bit of a non sequitur, but it's just in reference to um, uh, negatives in the movie, um, I do think that it may have spent too much time for my liking with the Ron Perlman character. Yeah. Who is kind of whiny and irritating. And thinking back to the movie, I don't really remember like the scenes with him very yeah. much at all. Sure. The characters I wanted to be with were uh Ryan Gosling's and Carrie Mulligan's and the little boy. Yeah. Um yeah, so I said here I thought that uh I did become attached to the characters because of their strong performance and direction, but then I was kind of ripped away again. I put here whenever a conversation took place, not literally, but several times throughout the film, I was just like, mm, this just doesn't, like, you're not selling it to it's me. It's not ringing true. Yeah, you're not selling it. Okay. Um, also, another complaint I have is a scene in the nightclub. Um, like, I'm not a prude, and I think the directors should be able to feature any mature content, and the movie is rated M. Yeah. And it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a scene of extended nudity that I feel like added we, we, nothing. We can, it's it's to topless, the, it's topless yeah. uh, dancers or whatever who are sitting around in the green room. Yeah. And I think, now personally, I would never put something like that in my movie. You could make arguments in some movies that it adds to the grit, or it helps sell the atmosphere or something. Here, I think it was totally needless and just kind of a way to get, like, a couple scuzzy views. And see, I completely disagree with that. Really? I think that that was an important uh, juxtaposition to what was happening in that setting. Yeah. Uh, I, and also, that's just what that environment, I would imagine, would be like, you know. And yeah, you can't... and that's fair. And you don't really want to... Uh, well, I was going to say, like, they, they were probably going for realism in that moment, too. But I do think that probably the main reason why it was in there is to provide a weird uh, juxtaposed backdrop um, where the character Ryan Gosling goes to meet um, is kind of the kingpin. Yeah. You know, and then it the way it unfolds it. So I, th- yeah. I think that it was, I, I totally understand what you're coming from, and it definitely doesn't make me comfortable yeah um but 
I do think that as a, um, you know, uh, creator, I, I totally think that it's justifiable yeah. and justified. I mean, I understand. And it, and it does not seem pervy. No, or, no, or no. leering, like in any sense. No, and I it don't totally so. could have. Like yeah. it totally could have. It could have gone way into voyeuristic territory. Yeah. But hats off to the to Nicholas yeah. Winding Refn and the team for making it not seem like that. I just guess if I put it this way, if the scene did not feature like nudity like that, I wouldn't have finished the movie and been like, man, some nudity sure would have made like sold the scene a lot more. Like, well. Uh, <sighs> If the movie was made without it, uh, you you definitely wouldn't wish for it. But it's yeah. not it's not something that you wish for. Yeah. Like it's it not... wasn't like I'm not saying it destroyed the movie. I just saw it and I was kind of like, hmm, this seems like a kind of easy out, but not the best way to achieve a real feel for an area like this. Uh, I disagree. Yeah, but overall, I think it was a solid, like, really good movie that would have been. Great if only it had better writing. I will say an interesting point. So we should also just quickly red flag the fact that this movie, without trotting into spoilers, gets very violent. Yeah. And uh, like graphically violent. And like you said, there is the uh, brief scene. Brief, single but decently extended topless scene. So if, you know, either of those are sensitive issues for you, you might want to give it a pass. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie regardless. But interesting thing that I noticed when we were watching the, the movie together, because we watched it together, which is, I think, the first time we've done that for, for a show. Except nope. for uh, Embrace, Embrace the, the Serpent. Serpent. Hey. Casablanca. I thought. Also. Yeah. Well, it's the third time then. I'm sorry. Jeez. Um, every time an act of... Goodwill Hunting we also watched together, by vi- the way. No, I don't remember that. Every time we want, every time an act of uh, violence would occur on screen, I was noticing you very soon after each each time something violent happened. No, you would say something really? to me. Yeah, huh? That's and very in, interesting. In an, I think you were breaking the tension yeah, or something. Because I remember the, the first time I watched that movie, and I was by myself, and I was like completely taken aback huh. by how brutal and. And unflinching the portrayal of the violence is. And I just, I found it really interesting that you would make like a little remark, like a little quip, you know, yeah, quip or whatnot after, after each of those scenes. And it was like without fail every time. So I found that was pretty funny and, and quite indicative of how, how, uh, good, good the violence is. I don't want to say how good it it is. It achieved its goal. Yeah, it really does. Okay. We are on near the 40-minute mark. Hooly dooly. Heck and dang. Yeah. And well. I can't imagine this is going to be short. No. Let's try and keep around an, al- an album. Yes. Bye, guys. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep this episode at an album. Um, okay. okay, so. Hotline Miami. Uh, let me pull up the Wikipedia. Oh, Soldier, can to... you slap me a brown there, good sir? Brown slap. Ew, that sounds really... Jason can't snap his fingers, fun fact. You wouldn't call it a finger snap? No, I called this a finger snap, you absolute chump. <laughs> there we got a classic Jason laugh. Okay, I'm sure everybody's... It's a finger snap, it's just a weak Making snap. people's eyes water. Okay, Hotline Miami. 
is a top-down shooter video game by oh geez, Jonathan Soderstrom. Sure, and Dennis Whedon, collectively known as Denitin Games. The game was published by Devolver Digital and released on the 23rd of October 2012 for Microsoft Windows. AKA Windows. Set in 1989 Miami, the plot consists of two protagonists, Jacket and Biker, that's their nicknames since they are unnamed, who have been receiving phone calls instructing them to commit massacres against the local Russian mafia. Or have they? The game blends top-down perspective with stealth, extreme violence, and surreal storytelling, along with a soundtrack and visuals. I'll just wait for you to finish crinkling that very crinkly paper, thank you. Along with a soundtrack and visuals influenced by 1980s culture, the game itself was influenced in part by Nicholas Winding Refn's 11, uh, 20, 2011 neo-noir, there's that phrase that I used and you disagreed with slightly, crime film Drive, as well as the 2006 documentary Cocaine Cowboy, Cowboys, jeez, which we have not seen. At release, the game received very positive reviews from critics with praise regarding the narrative and themes, soundtrack, and gameplay, and has since become a cult video game. A sequel, Hotline Miami 2 Wrong Number, was announced in 2013 and released on the 10th of March in 2015. So, for those of you who have seen Pulp Fiction, I kind of don't need to do as much explaining, the game's um, story is told part in flashbacks and is part told by a narrator who you later uh, come to learn that you can't really trust. I think that's safe to say. I would and, call him a narrator. Well, from a point of view that you learn that you can't trust. Yeah. Then. Um, it, like it said, very surreal. Um, please, 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 if you're listening to this and you've got like any sort of freedom whatsoever and you have it and you aren't familiar with hotline miami look up um maybe just a let's play or or even some screenshots because it is um it's one of my top three games of all time i'll just come out and say it and i think you and i have nothing but love for Mm it uh i have a couple small but it's incredible but let me but the uh the art for it is among the most striking digital slash video game art i've ever seen and also i would say if you are interested in games at all, but not really a gamer, in some ways this is great for you. It was released on uh, Windows, Mac, uh, PlayStation 3, 4, Vita. It was released on uh, Android even. Don't know why you'd want to play it on a phone, but you can. But it's also a very difficult game, so in some ways it wouldn't be a great point of entry. But I'm just saying it's readily accessible, like, everywhere. So, Yes, yeah. And, but then with that... Um... With that uh, in mind, it is also brutally hard, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm not a great gamer, but I'm okay, and it's still really difficult for me. And it is a game where you will die hundreds of times, in especially your first, your first time through. Yeah. Uh, so basically, what Jason and I are going to be doing right now is not a conventional review of the game. What we're going to be doing is attempting to understand and explain our way through the story that takes place um i'm good i'll go to the plot section of the wikipedia page i have uh gamma sutra rame ismail's uh dissection which the what did you read rame ismail's uh interpretation oh rame the guy the camel dude the camel dude 
camel mask called Rami? Is yeah, it that it's guy? named okay. after him. Yeah. Uh, he's I, also I, a game developer, though. I think he made Luftfaffers. Luftfaffers? Mm. I, I have not. Uh, so. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. So, the game. Uh, the yeah, game. Sorry, I told you to go ahead and stop me, I'm going to tell you this. So, Rami Ismail, who will be reading some of his, he's the developer behind Vlambeer, who we know from Lift Rousers and more recently Nuclear Throne. Oh, cool. So, um, I, I think we should do this more as like a constant back and forth, yeah. um, considering both of our notes are somewhat scattered on this, and I've got like pages and pages of notes because we both did a full playthrough of the game i have so to many prepare notes. i've read like full synopsis of the plot and stuff like that i have almost three microsoft word 12.5 pages oh dear so oh, i'm i'm hoping that we can keep this entertaining and engaging for the I'm two not people. like an hour long and you know if it's not then just turn it off and tell us that it wasn't that great and to never do anything like this ever again hooly dooly i just lost my wellies. No. Comment, you guys are absolute lizards. Never podcast again. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, the game starts off um, in the from the point of view of the protagonist nicknamed Jacket because he is wearing a jacket very similar and he looks very similar to Ryan Gosling's character in Drive. And in a couple different ways, the game does kind of mirror the story. Uh, in in kind of the loose um, fade f- doomed romance kind of kind of uh, way yeah. in the, the fact soundtrack that he, the soundtrack in the fact that he drives a interesting car um, which is a DeLorean um, so it starts off with J- the jacket protagonist being given a phone call uh, from what we learn is called the 50 blessings is it just organization 50 blessings yeah 50 blessings um instructing him to check outside his door he finds a box with a chicken mask and what the story does not start there where does it start first you go and meet the masked people before you oh uh, you're right so that kind of you know okay what okay so the jack jacketed protagonist that is that where it begins yes after the tutorial, I assume. Yes. Okay. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Everybody. He's he totally bungled uh, the whole opening of the game. Okay. Whatever. Uh, you you're visited throughout the game by three characters: a woman in a horse mask. A woman. Yeah. It's accepted that it's a woman. A woman in a horse mask, a man in a rooster mask, and another man in an owl mask. It's pretty and they, sexist that they only have one woman and they have two men. They think. seem to be kind of different paths uh, that you can choose, or maybe different influencers. In any rate, they're they're all different characters in the game, um, and in in that initial uh, confrontation or visitation as I called it in my notes, it's uh, kind of established that the horse is a sympathetic, caring character who cares about uh, Jacket and his predicament, that the rooster is a largely indifferent but not um, malicious uh, presence who knows uh, the future and knows the truth throughout, but only gives questions and never answers um, 
any of ours, and the owl is kind of an angry, uh, I don't want to say hate-filled, but definitely has feelings of animosity towards the main character. So first it starts off with um, a a meeting with those three characters uh, and then moves on to the jacketed protagonist waking up, uh, finding the message on his answering machine from 50 Blessings, and then it's a cryptic message saying that he's got cookies delivered outside his door and that the... um, recipe for the cookies is in with the cookies and he opens a box and finds a rooster mask just like what we saw the rooster richard richard wearing in the visitation scene previous he puts on the rooster mask and then there are instructions to go kill a bunch of people at a certain location so this is kind of the basic setup of the game he's receiving instructions to go kill various people cryptic phone 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 call messages to go deal with various people and it'll be like there's been a spill uh at this address please bring your mop and then you know you get the idea um he continues doing this sort of thing and he is visited um he's visited a couple different times by the horse rooster and owl and it's times three times before uh may 13th i believe so okay um is it May 13th? I'm going to yeah. keep talking. And it's the, the each mission is given a date. Now, another interesting thing to note is that after the end of each mission, he goes out either to the bar for a drink, or he goes to, to the pizza parlor to get pizza, or he goes to the corner store to get a uh, snack, or he goes, lastly, to the video rental store. Did you say bar? Yep. Mm-hmm. The video rental store to, to rent a VHS. And uh, it's not important to remember those because they're all staffed by the same long-haired bearded fellow um who who seems friendly with jacket seems to know him uh and seems to have some sort of positive bent towards him and and uh lets him have various different things for free and has his orders ready when he arrives and all that sort of thing uh now this sort of cycle continues for several missions, yeah. I think probably five or six, or maybe seven. Yeah. Um, until he is... Until you complete a level, and then you're told via phone message, uh, at the end of a level, you're, you're in a room where you've killed a bunch of people and the phone rings, to go to this organization called Phone Home, because, uh, as they say, there is a prank caller. And you go to... Uh, phone home there are slaughtered bodies all over the place and you go upstairs or there's a large man this in is a motor- chapter seven after about um about six weeks of previous of violence yeah um how many missions is that though seven uh, six it's the seventh it's mission the seventh that mission. you go there okay you just said that yep uh, <laughs> and there's this large figure wearing a motorcycle helmet like a pink uh jacket there and he's typing on their computer and it's kind of implied he's killed all these people and he's hacking into their computers whatnot and so you confront him and after an extended battle you kind of like bash him to death with a a golf club and then after that you receive another cryptic uh visitation from the uh horse the rooster and the owl and they they tell you uh that something's occurred you go to the bar 
and the bar is completely empty except for your friend who says he has a gut feeling that something awful's taken place. Um, the owl's mad that you're back. The woman in the horse mask says you look concerned. Sick. Yeah, and, concerned. and the rooster uh, offers you three questions, which I think I've written down, but I might Good, not. Good, because I only know one of them. Oh, he says someone you he or he has three, three predictions. Predictions. Someone you know is not who you think he is. Something will soon be taken away from you, and on July twenty first, you will wake up in a bigger house. Um, but to to return to what I said, uh, yeah, the bar is completely empty, and the bartender says he feels like something terrible has happened tonight. Um, and the rooms, the level starts swaying slightly as you walk from side to side. They kind of pitch and reel uh-huh. in this interesting way, in this kind of dizzying way. Um, in an earlier mission, I forgot about this. I'm going back to it. In an earlier mission before this point, you um, uh, rescue a character referred to affectionately as Hooker because she is in fact a, a prostitute. Uh, you rescue her from the clutches of this mob boss, and she kind of it's implied that she becomes your girlfriend after after you care for her and and Maybe. help you her. Always are sleeping in separate beds and stuff though. Although she leaves for. A couple missions comes back and the beds are then pushed together mm, that's true yeah in, to form one big bed as opposed to earlier when they were apart and your apartment slowly becomes more clean as yeah, i think i know she that. she cleans it up uh for you um so let me let me try and get my head straight so <laughs> we're really going on here and that's getting jason that's okay. okay it's fine just settle down it's fine well if it's fine then why'd you mention it jason because I'm a control freak and I hate myself. Yeah. I know. So, after this point, uh, you do several more missions, I believe. Um, and uh, you're, you're fr- you go into the, uh, the corner store where your friend is working with the beard and the long hair. But this time, the biker who you killed with the golf club is laying uh, with half his head missing and blood everywhere. Uh, on the floor, and your friend informs you that nothing you see is actually real. And Such to, a spine-tingling moment. To still. demonstrate, the body of the biker disappears in this kind of blast of, of fake television static uh, that comes over the screen. And then in the bathroom, you see this bald figure um, wearing uh, a green jacket, kind of drumming his uh, fingers on the, on the sink. And then, after that, it... Uh, it's revealed that this green bald, this gr- bald-headed, green-jacketed guy, who I'll call Richter, uh, because of the mask he wears, kills your bearded friend, and then you arrive back at your, um, back at your apartment, and you walk in and discover that your girlfriend, the hooker, <laughs> hooker, is dead in the bathroom, and there's shell casings around her, and then you walk over uh, towards your telephone which is where the player's conditioned to walking to receive mission mi- mission briefings <laughs> and uh the bald man in the green jacket sitting there with a rat mask on he shoots you then you have another discussion with the three animals then they say there's a bed across the hallway go there and rest you walk across into the hallway and you see yourself laying in a hospital bed then the character's head symbolically explodes. You wake up in a hospital, and it turns out you've been in a coma. You escape from the uh, from the coma. 
you go to the head of the Russian gang, who I should mention, <laughs> the Russian gang is who you've been perpetrating these acts of violence uh, upon for the prior uh, story. You go and you obliterate basically the head of the of the Russian mafia, and that's where Jacket's story ends. Now, here's where it gets really freaky, folks. Look at I just spent a little while getting this. Oh, nice. Now, uh, he, Jason's customized his laptop background to be Hall on Miami because he's listening so intently to what I'm saying. I really am. Now, uh, they rewind the story to the day when you fight and defeat uh, Helmet or Biker. Biker. The, uh, the uh, Biker. <laughs> and uh, in an in a interesting twist, when... That's not canon. Yeah, it is. No, after you leave the police station, you go and you have to get the case files and you get green jacket out of the cell. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, that's an important part too. Yeah, that is that is a good point. But you can either you can either kill the bald guy or leave him. Can you leave him? Yeah. I always kill him. Same. I didn't know that you couldn't. Um, or that you could not. Uh, so yeah, you... who tells you about that? Who tells you about the police files? You just go to the police files. He tells you about it. And then oh, you kill yeah, him, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. just go get it and leave. And and then you read some about yourself. I'm sorry, folks. It's a very convoluted story. I think as you're that's true. As you're trying to, as you're kind of picking up now. And then it doesn't even rewind. Then no, I'm I know it doesn't rewind. Then okay. it rewinds after you kill the head of the Russian yeah. mob. Yeah, that's what I said. You kill the old man. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, you you do catch up later with the bald guy who shot you. And uh, they actually talk about him while you're in the hospital bed and say that he's not talking. Yeah. Um, and so you you meet up with him and then you can kill him or not. Anyway, now it rewinds back to when you first faced off with Biker. Only this time you're playing as Biker. Not only are you playing as Biker, but then Jacket, the previous protagonist, walks into the room, snatches up a golf club, and goes to fight you. Hang and you on. Just, what? There are three chapters as okay, the biker you, before... Okay, you take you take over then. I have the whole summary. Go ahead. So, you take over as the biker. This is May 13th. I'm, just, I'm trying to do this for memory, um, dog. So, this is around 10 weeks... Oh, I have it all. I have the whole timeline here. should have just asked. Um, this is around 10 weeks before um, Jacket ends up in the hospital. Um, so, we really, go back... To be honest, I completely messed that up on purpose, so I could just eat. Yeah. So, we go back... Um, and Biker Helmet, is that what he's called? Biker. So Biker is ringing out somebody in a pig mask, which is very interesting. Yeah, Throughout yeah, the game, you see different masked figures. Um, like, there's one scene outside of the convenience store where there's somebody in a mask who's getting gang beat by a whole bunch of people. Yeah. You find them dead throughout um, the whole Thank game. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, one of your phone calls says that they sent someone over who didn't do a very good job, so you have to clean up. Um, and then they're rigged up as like a human bomb, which I didn't make that connection until this playthrough. Um, but it's very clear that you're not alone. There are quite a number of other people who are doing this. Um, but it's not clear if they're imitators or kind of cohorts. And so the biker rings out this kid in a pig mask, and the guy squeals. I thought that was a clever pun. And tells you the higher-ups at a Chinese restaurant. Um, and then so biker goes over to the Chinese restaurant, just like clears out the whole area... And gets to the guy in hiding who established all the like tech stuff, like the whole phone yeah. redirection. 
and he says the bosses are using this organization called Phone Home Good Lord, to cover up their tracks. I really suck at this whole um, thing. And so then at this point, there's a couple other calls that go on between um, May 16th and May 23rd where I guess the biker's waiting to make his next move. So they call, you know, for you to go to an arcade and you go there and wipe out everybody. And then the next time they make a call, but instead of going where they direct you, the biker goes to phone home, this dubious organization. I don't think they ever really say what it is. Um, and is confronted by Jacket. But this time playing as the biker, you kill Jacket like basically instantly. Uh, it's not even a fight at all. From here, the next day, you find, uh, I guess actually at phone home, you find the address for where the bosses are hiding out kind of thing. The the, the puppet masters, yeah. as it were, who, who have been sending out these cryptic phone calls, making people go kill members of the Russian mob. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you go there and it's this dingy little janitor building thing. <sighs> Excuse me. Um. And you find there are two janitors who you then realize you've seen scattered throughout the game, and they seem sort of incidental at the time. But it turns out that they're the masterminds who have been watching you. Um, I have a funny anecdote about them, by the way. Go ahead. I'm per- quite positive that the they're the two developers. Look of the janitors is totally yeah. the two developers. I see. Um, and this is where things get even more convoluted because you could have the true ending or the fake ending. The fake ending, nothing much happens, really, so I'm just going to go with the true ending. If you pick up specific little tiles throughout the game, there are these little collectible items. Each one is a letter, and you can arrange the letter into the password. Um, I, by the way, I hated this. I felt like it was a cop-out. It had nothing to do with the story. Uh, I'm getting excited and talking too quickly. You can enter the password to their computer. You access their files. You see their whole game. Basically, it turns out that the janitors are nationalist, national, national, na- nationalists, and what they're doing is basically a proof of concept uh, for a plan to take over the world, essentially. So they're well, they want to. I mean, the name of their organization is Fifty Blessings. Yeah. They say they want to restore, restore, the United States of America yeah. to its greatness. They say that it's fallen, it's become tainted, and and one of those signifiers or or their testing grounds is the Russian mafia in Miami yeah. and they're taking out the Russian mafia systematically as, as a as a proof of concept of their idea but also as the first step to mm-hmm. cleansing America but their plan if this works and it is working was to implement this all over and have what seems to be some sort of uh ethnic cleansing almost of anybody who isn't an American that's sort of what I got out of it um, or anybody who doesn't support American ideals. Um, and then Biker kills them. The story ends. Total, apparently, like, dead-end ending. Nothing much seems to come of it. But I think there is much more than meets the eye here. Um, so what is your interpretation of events? And I realize it's going to be scattered, and we've already basically destroyed this whole episode. Yeah, so ho- hopefully people have been able to follow and slightly remember... My definite um, opinion is that when Jacket goes to fight Biker, that Biker does defeat Jacket. That's my theory as well. He he hurts him real bad, and then um, following that, all the events that take place from Jacket's perspective are coma dreams. Yes, including 
he sees a lot of maimed or zombified gangsters russian gangsters even a dog um and there is a uh mob boss in his apartment who's got his eye gouged out at one point so i think that these are all these are all coma dreams i do think though that um 50 blessings then sent somebody to his apartment to tie up the loose end which is his girlfriend she was assassinated um and then passes away dies uh, I have some more notes, if I may. I'm going to skim through the story very quickly and pick up a couple things you may have missed. Um, the very first time you encounter your friend at the convenience store, he says, and this is apparently the first thing that happens in the timeline as well, he says that you seem really down about losing your girlfriend. So my theory then is that the girl is kind of made up by you. It's like part of your psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of a recreation of a girlfriend that you had in the past and eventually she dies and I don't really, I'm not convinced that she ever existed in the storyline. Um, let's see. I also think it's very interesting, um, as you see the progression, yeah, the girl's at the bathroom sink, she's sleeping on the couch, she's sleeping on the separate bed, she's sleeping in your bed, um, Chapter 6, um, you have a clipping that talks about a possible vigilante movement that the police deny. So I wonder if some of the masked people are impersonators and not actually members of 50 Blessings. That is also when you first see the janitor in your apartment who's watching you in your apartment and then again in a hotel where you go. Yes? Um, I think a lot of the... A lot of these questions, like what you were just saying about... Um, imitation uh killers and that sort of thing are kind of addressed in hotline miami too yes but it does somewhat frustrate me but that's set like in like years later no it's not it's it's also set with flashbacks and i'm gonna i'm gonna address some of that now um i'd like to be able to address the plot line of this game in isolation though yeah without possible revisionist add-ons from the developers, you know, later when they yeah. thought, oh, here's a clever idea that we could do. Let's see what time we're at, just but, so we have a sort of idea. Well, we're going to be probably an hour 15, hour 5. Um, I think that um, one thing that that's possible and interesting, I read, I was reading some opinions online, somebody thinks that the entire uh all of jacket's experiences are made up and they think that um the bearded man the bearded long hair they call him beard uh the guy who works in all the stores and whatnot was your friend during the war which is uh, korea which is korea which is addressed in hotline miami too uh and uh and that he is dead before the game even starts and that he it's kind of a coping mechanism, uh, the fact that he exists. And then after Jacket kills the old man in the wheelchair, who is kind of the the kingpin's kingpin of the Russian yeah. mob, you go out onto the balcony, you light a cigarette, and then take out a small slip of paper or whatever. He looks at it and then lets it go, and it floats off in the wind. And the proposed idea is that that's a picture of him and Beard from the war. And he and what he's been doing, the killings and that sort of thing, are a justification of, or some something to kind of f- 
fill the void in his life that he's had. He, he watches buddies die, and he's very tortured by that. I don't know that I believe that entire sequence of events, but it does make quite a bit of sense. Yeah. My initial instinct is that for the purposes of the game existing in isolation for several years, which it did for three years, uh, I think that the 50 Blessings group is real. I think that the uh, acts that Jacket did leading up to his encounter with Biker are real. And then after that, I think they're all uh, coma dreams. I think that then Biker essentially just resolves it. I don't think that it's as complicated of a narrative as what I initially thought. I do think that the um, the horse, the rooster, and the owl are figments of his imagination. Yeah. And I think that he visits them in dreams. And they are part of his rationalizing his killings. And that they're part of his uh, guilt that he's done. That, or for the things that he's done, rather. Uh, but I don't think that it's as complicated as I thought it was at first, and I don't think it's as complicated as a lot of people on GameFAQs yeah. and Reddit and all that sort of thing have made it out to be. Now, I could be completely wrong, but I'm very satisfied with that explanation. So, Do you differ? Yeah, I do, to an extent. I sort of think that Jacket is real... And 50 Blessings is real. And almost everything in between that is made up. So I kind of think that um, the horse is the part of you that wants to become like a crazy psychopath. And I think it's actually like the evil part of you sort of thing. I think the chicken is very possibly just a representation of you. As it's normal, neutral, and swayed. Or even... Neutral. Neutral. Or even... um, it's just a reference point yeah. to, to bounce the other two. And I off. think the owl could also be viewed as the good side because I think it doesn't want... I think it's trying to get you to live a normal life. Like, it never wants you coming into these dreams and stuff. Yeah. An interesting um, observation I made while playing is that the animals, the three animals, the horse, the owl, and the rooster, never talk to each other. Yeah. And yeah. indeed, they seem to be ignoring each other yeah. in a lot of uh, senses. And they're complete. they're having completely different, disconnected conversations with you at the same time. So that's one of the things that led me to believe these aren't, like, I think it's obvious they aren't three actual people in masks. Uh, But I do think that they are different paths that the characters struggle in between. I also think your character model, I never noticed this before, in the first encounter, so the first time you kill someone, you throw up. Yeah. In the first um, dream sequence, your character is visibly shaking, like, terrified. I oh. never noticed that before. I usually play it on the Vita. I played it on a bigger screen on a PS4 this time. And I noticed you are shaking. Like, you're terrified. Interesting. There's no two ways about that. So that, to me, discounts the theory of a war vet. Because you wouldn't think, like, after you first kill, like, he throws up. I don't know. Bring back old memories. Whatever. Nobody knows. Who knows? Who cares? Um, after that, I think 50 Blessings is real. And I think his murders are real. But I think that his friend is made up, and I think it could be as simple as an imaginary friend. It could be someone old who's died long ago. I think his girlfriend is made up, um, and I think that's like... I mean, maybe she used to exist, because at the beginning the guy says, sorry about your girlfriend. So I wonder if she's like a re-embodiment of your girlfriend kind of thing. Um, 
I'm not seeing the. I'm playing. I, After that. I just booted up the first mission of the Vita. I'm not seeing the character <laughs> shake. After that, I think it's possible, and this is a theory that isn't backed up by anything, but you do have when you're in the hospital, you do have a bandage on your head. So I almost wonder if what happens is you go to phone home, clean house, and then when the biker shows up, I think he might be imagined, and I wonder if you finally reach your peak of insanity and just cap yourself in the head and try to kill yourself. One of one of the things that was suggested was that he actually does kill biker, and then this this person here actually, um, shadow spaz. Uh, it was suggested that every character in the game that's wearing a mask is actually you. Yeah, I've considered and that, that too. Um, when you go back to the apartment and Richter shoots you, it's actually you shooting yourself. Yeah, because I because they've killed your girlfriend. I strongly suspect that he kills himself, and then from well, there on, from there on, yeah, shoots himself, doesn't kill himself, and then from there on out, everything is a dream, except. It's either that, or and I entertain this briefly as well. He shoots himself in the head, kills himself, and is then in purgatory or hell for yeah. what he, for his actions. the The one thing I dislike about um, the the biker character being viewed as an un, unreliable narrator or as a as a fictional character in the setting of the story, of course, is that then the whole ending of the game. The whole conclusion, all that is just... It's I just don't really like the ending of the game. I think it's... I mean, it, I, I don't mind it at all, but I think that it kind of has to be solid for the game's yeah. narrative to have any closure and any any uh, sense of solidity, which it does have some. Because the only way a, a narrative can be this convoluted and this confusing and this subjective is if there is, at, at its core... A central tenant or yeah. fiber of truth, and that's what I think Fifty Blessings is. Okay. Um, so, but then the question is, like, is Biker real? Like, because Fifty, if Fifty Blessings is, exist, who heads it up? Is it the janitors? Is that in your head or not? Like, I don't really have answers for that, and I don't think my theory is necessarily right. It's just a theory that I think is interesting, and I think it's very possible that all the mask characters are him, and that he does shoot himself. I um, I think that um, there are a couple couple uh, ways that I would take exception with that theory, though. In is in so much as, like you said, you do find different characters throughout the game who are dead and have masks on them. True. And in which case, those can't really be you, yeah, because they're dead. Unless, and then and then also it goes into the whole thing of. Um, how much credit do you want it? Not credit, but yeah, I guess credit. How much credit yeah. are you going to give to the game developers? I doubt that myself as a creative individual would want to, or would think to jam so much symbolism and double meaning into a, into a game or a piece of art. But I think it's in the subjectivity and the richness yeah. of a story where it becomes, you know, dual meanings emerge themselves and the story the narrative take on, you know, different shifting uh, meanings. Yeah. So is that it? We didn't <laughs> talk that much about the game. Um, the game's epically fantastic. amazing. Uh, very we difficult. Weren't, we weren't even going to really be talking yeah. about the game itself. That's true. 
If you like games, play it. If you don't like games, it's a really hard call. Everything about it would be good for non-gamers, except it is gruelingly difficult. One thing that I would say is if you were, you know, late 20s, early 30s, even above, and you played games as a kid, this would yeah. be an, this would probably be a game you'd Fair. really love. Because it has a retro aesthetic, it's got retro style graphics that are gorgeous almost beyond compare. Did I just say gorgeous? They're gorgeous know. beyond... Uh, yeah. comparison it's a neon setting the music is neon everything's 80s it, it's vibrant it's gorgeous it is if you know what pixel art is the best pixel art i've ever seen in a game bar none uh the next to shovel Knight. it's the detail is exquisite it's fab you sh- anybody who has any passing interest in visual art should at least look up a bit of a let's play yeah. Um, or a walkthrough of it and just watch like five ten minutes just so that you can see you know what we're talking about because it is beautiful they're talking about the um hitchcock effect as well uh in regards to the violence in the game which is shocking yeah i think the violence is shocking and brutal and up in your face but it's all pixelated right it's these um, it's not much more high fidelity than like mario brothers yeah uh but the colors are vibrant and and they they said that the Hitchcock effect is that when things are just lo-fi enough, your brain fills in all the missing gaps and it becomes more shocking or more vibrant or more alive to you than it would have seemed had it been HD, photorealistic. And I completely buy that. And I completely think that that's one of the things that makes the game an all-time, all-time classic and a truly, truly timeless game. This game will never age. No. Yeah. It will never, ever age. My my one and only gripe with it, really, as I played through it, was that sometimes the uh, guns, the bullets, can be, like, a little glitchy. Yeah. Like, I feel like I don't always hit the bad guys when I should. Uh, and that's literally one tiny gameplay nitpick yeah. in a game that I've probably sunk well over 100 hours into. Because it is one of those which games, which we should say, too... There, there are the separate missions. You can play through the missions separately and get better scores. And the gameplay itself is horrendously addicting. Yeah. Like, horrendously addicting. We were playing it with uh, our friend Derek, who has only played, like, a little bit of the game. And I think he... Like, it's one of those things where you you die like that. Like, you, yeah. you'll literally die three, four, five seconds into a level. And immediately, immediately you're like, I gotta try again. I yeah. gotta try again. You'll get halfway through a level and get killed... Gotta try again. It's a it's a gaming yeah. masterpiece, oh. uh, and deserves. Without the story, it would still be. Yeah, fabu. it doesn't need the story. Fabu. But, the, but the fact that the story is there, it is it is the Quentin Tarantino video game. Yeah, like all all over, and I mean that in the best possible sense. Uh, I really hope Quentin Tarantino is aware of this game and has, if not played it, you know, learned a little bit about it. Okay. Uh, <sighs> I think that's about it. That yeah. was that was more meandering and less focused than I wanted it to be. Yeah, but it's okay. But I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and that's kind of the point. And if they weren't into games, they probably just listen to Drive Tuned Out. I'm happy with that. Yeah, um, I don't really care. We are trying to get as many views as, and as much money from this as we possibly can. Yeah, if but you could watch, that, if you could watch each of our videos ten times, or set up like a server where yeah. all the computers are are just constantly watching our content, we'd really appreciate that kind of farming. 
Anyways, so what are we reviewing next week? Actually, I want to say one. We are reviewing um, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles, which is very interesting because I don't think either of us have ever listened to the whole album front to back. And and I and I, I don't have... It's, I, I'm not going to say famously, but I'm known uh, amongst Beatles fans because being in the music sphere as I am, I'm known amongst most musicians for hating the Beatles. Hating and the Beatles. I will say... I have hated the Beatles in the past, but recently I've started to wonder if I'm wrong. Same. So that might be interesting. Same. And I'm, I, I've thought recently, I've been like, maybe I've been wrong all along. And then alongside that, we will also be reviewing the cult classic Jaws. Cult classic. <laughs> which that we small, have, That small art house film. Which we have both already seen. Um, we, were, we loved it before it was cool. Yeah, um, before we were born. Yeah, basically. I'm really excited for the yeah. next episode. I think that's. I think it's going to be one that you don't want to miss. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles and Jaws, probably the famous the, movie. And I think this is the longest album name we've ever reviewed and the shortest movie name we've ever reviewed. Yeah, for sure. Well, no, Drive. I mean, I guess if you're going it's by a letter, letter, yeah. letter count, then yeah. It's one word, though. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is an extremely long album title, and I will not lie, a good album title true so please if you have any any comments suggestions any any comments any comments if there are things you dislike or like about the podcast um yeah please please do let us know what you thought if you're still listening yeah at all or just in person because we'll probably see yeah if you're but if you uh have any strong thoughts or even just any thoughts on this last segment that we did on hotline miami i'd be extremely interested to hear them yeah uh i don't know if i liked it but because i feel like we didn't do as as well as we might have, yeah. but then thinking back, I don't know really how we could have done it better. True. So, yeah. Anyway. That's basically it. Um, I'm going to look at getting the show on iTunes within the next couple of weeks, so maybe even when this airs. Um, we'll see, though, so hopefully that complaint will be soon put to rest. And with that in mind... Um, sploop. Yes, a splooge. No, it wouldn't be easy. None. 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 None.